you're here, staying here, then let's turn to John chapter 7. Um, the words will be on the screen as well in a minute as I read it. But I'd love you to have this in front of you. Um, if this is your first time at Globe, um, you should know that we really, really do love um, to study the Bible and to learn of Jesus together. We don't love the Bible because, because it's a book. We love the Bible because we love the God who wrote the Bible. We love the God who speaks the Bible, and we love Jesus, who is the center of the Bible. And so that's why we are so passionate about learning together. So we're going to turn to John chapter 7. We're working our way through John's gospel, and we're going to pick up from verse 25. Um, so let's, let's listen to God's word together as I read. John 7, verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I'm from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What does he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He's the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Well, why don't we pray? Let's pray. Let's ask that God would help us this afternoon and would teach us. Father, please, um, we ask that you would give us alert minds and give us ready hearts to listen and to be transformed by what we hear this afternoon. Please would these not just be dead words on a page. Please would they not just be the human words of my mouth. Please would these be the spirit-empowered word of God to us as we listen to this spirit-given word. Lord, please speak, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Great. Well, I think it's a, a fairly universally accepted truth that water is a good thing. Okay, that doesn't strike me as a controversial statement. Uh, and when we want a picture of refreshment and prosperity, and on a warm afternoon like this, where perhaps we're feeling a little bit thirsty, I realize that this sermon might get a little bit frustrating for you as I talk a lot about water, but I hope that you'll cope with that. But you can imagine a bubbling brook, glistening, clear water that's just so refreshing to us. But let me um, just, uh, just for a moment, just as a bit of a thought experiment, let me try and put in a, a different uh, opinion on water. Let me try and argue that water is a bad thing. Just for a second, see how this works with you. Water holds all of humanity in slavery. It makes exclusive claims and says that only it, water, can satisfy those claims. And it has this vicious weapon that it uses called thirst. And thirst makes us long for this thing called water. No, water is a tyrant that holds humanity in slavery. Does that work for you? Is that a, is that a, no, of course, that's stupid, right? No one... Why? Because we all know that we need water. We know that water is a good thing, and we know that the way we are designed, the way that we're made, the way our bodies work, is that we need water. And therefore, you don't find communities of humanity who declare war on water. You don't find communities of humanity who say, tell you what, we've got this great idea. We're going to be a waterless community. It's funny, isn't it? We might try and live without all sorts of other things. Perhaps we should have less of this. We should do less of this. We should do but water is never going to be something that humanity ditches because we need it. Now, we're going to see that Jesus this afternoon is going to make exactly the same claim about himself. And we're going to understand this afternoon why you, as a human being, you need Jesus. And whether you're watching this and you're not a Christian and you've never really thought about Jesus that much before, I, I, I want to try and persuade you. I, I don't want to persuade you. I, I want to try and let the words of Jesus persuade you. You need him. You need him like you need water. And if you already know him, and many of us who are watching this or here in the room, we already know him. Well, I want to persuade you that you need him more than you realize you need him. And it may be that even this afternoon, you come to church and you feel dry. Your heart feels dry. You, you don't feel a particular love for Jesus. You don't feel that excited about him. In fact, you feel a bit like a desert. Over this afternoon, by God's grace, would he show us what it is to be satisfied by Jesus. What it is to thirst for him. And what we're going to do is just focus in on one sentence that Jesus said. And then we'll use that sentence to kind of unpack some of the other stuff that's going on around it. But I, I want us to focus in on one sentence. And it's one of the most profound and important sentences that's ever been spoken by a human being. And you can tell it's important because of the way the sentence is introduced. It's in verse 37. 
Just look how this sentence is introduced. We read, on the last and greatest day of the festival. Okay, the last couple of weeks we've been seeing Jesus. He's at this great festival in Jerusalem. At first he said he wasn't going to go, and then halfway through the week he did go, and then he's been teaching at this festival. And it's one of the three big Jewish festivals of the year, a time of celebration. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, when the people would build little tents, and they'd all live in tents, and they'd remember God's rescuing them from slavery, and they'd remember the 40 years of wandering in the desert and how God had provided them and given them bread and water, and they'd, they'd celebrate all this stuff for a week. So it's been a week of, like, Christmas, but for a week. And it's the last and greatest day, and Jesus stands up to say this sentence. You see, Jesus picks his moment And it's also introduced, we're told in verse 37, that Jesus stood and said it in a loud voice. This isn't a mumbled, muttered little sound bite. This is spoken with authority, it is spoken with power, and it is to be heard by all humanity. This isn't whispered in a back room in some secret little meeting. This is public, as public as it gets. The greatest day, the loudest voice, and this is what Jesus said. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. That sentence reverberates through the centuries with power. And we've come this afternoon to hear it again. And I just want to break that sentence down into four bits. I want us to think, what is the scope of this invitation that Jesus offers? What is the requirement? What's the qualification for this? What's the work you have to do? And then what is the promise, the result at the end of it? I mean, you can see it as well as I do. You could give this sermon as well as I could. What's the scope? Who is this promise for? What does Jesus say? He says, let anyone. Here is the wideness, okay? Here is the breadth of what Jesus says in this loud voice on the greatest day of the festival. He says, anyone, let anyone come to me. This isn't for a privileged few, Jesus flings the doors wide open and says, anyone come. And if you've been reading through John's gospel, that shouldn't really surprise you because by this point in John's gospel, it has become crystal clear that Jesus has come for anyone. In John chapter 1, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of what? The sin of the world. In John chapter 3, it is that God so loved the world that whoever believes. In John chapter 4, we are introduced to Jesus as the Savior of the world. In John chapter 5, we're told, whoever hears my voice and believes. In John chapter 6, we're told, whoever comes to me and eats. It's over and over again. Whoever, 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 the world, anyone. This is who Jesus is, he invites anyone and 
everyone to come to him. This is the most inclusive invitation that has ever rung out to humanity. Everyone is included. Now that is striking for us just to stop and pause and to meditate on for a couple of minutes. Because we live in a world of elite, right? We live in a world of privilege, where there are the haves and the have-nots. We live in a world where all the time there are those who have the privilege and those who are excluded. And we love to feel privileged, right? I love it when you have a bit of privilege, when you have a, a card that gives you access somewhere. That makes you feel special, doesn't it? Even if it's like to the stationery cupboard at the office, you still feel a sense of, is this just me? <laughs> yeah, just me. Uh, you feel that sense of power as you swipe your card, as the door swings open. But you know why you feel that sense of joy in that moment? Because you know that there's a whole bunch of people who don't have access. You see, if everybody had access to the stationery cupboard, you wouldn't care. You'd be bored by your access to the stationery cupboard, but because you're the one, you walk up to it with that sense of joy. This is my privilege. And this is how human privilege works. And that's a stupid example. But there are hundreds of painful, desperate examples of ways that human beings have held privilege for themselves. And those who are excluded are pushed down and held down because the word anyone is threatening to human beings who love privilege. Anyone? No, not anyone. What do you mean anyone can access the stationary cupboard? I don't want anyone. I want a few, a privileged few. This is why if we follow Jesus, there is no place for elitism. There is no place for sexism or racism. There's no place to treat anyone differently because everybody is welcomed on exactly the same basis. Oh, please God, that we would be a church where we welcome and we treat one another like Jesus treats us. Where anyone and whoever is welcome. There's a wideness in God's mercy. It's wider than the sea. There's a wideness in God's mercy. It's wide enough for me. Oh, that we would see the mercy of God. So here is this invitation. It's for anyone. But what is the qualification then? Anyone can come. What is the qualification to come? Well, Jesus says that anyone who is thirsty. Those who are thirsty come to Jesus and drink. So let's take this idea of thirst for a second. What do you understand by thirst? We all know what thirst feels like. Thirst is a powerful desire for something that we're lacking, right? Thirst is, is that sense of, I, I, I desperately need water. I need to be satisfied. And we run around in our lives looking for something that will satisfy us. That's what we're doing all the time. The decisions that we're making are designed to try and satisfy a thirst that we have within us.
In the Old Testament, in Psalm 63, um, the, the psalmist writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So the Bible says that we live in a world where there is no water that will satisfy our souls. As you look around this world, there is plenty of stuff that would offer to satisfy you, but there's no water that will truly satisfy. There might be stuff that will give you a temporary satisfaction. What you might call the strawberry milkshake stuff of the world, right? You know when you're really thirsty and you have a strawberry milkshake. And there is a moment when it tastes good, right? It's not that strawberry milkshakes taste bad, it's just that they don't satisfy your thirst. And at the end of it, you're still thirsty. And if we will recognize the thirst within us, then we will be qualified to go to Jesus and see our need. But what is, let's push a little bit deeper. I know it's warm, but let's push a little bit deeper. What is this? Where does this thirst come from? It's slightly weird, isn't it? Why do we thirst? Well, let's have a look at some of the other verses that Jesus says. Remember, Jesus has been at this feast for a week, right? He's been among the crowd. He's been watching what's going on, and he's been looking at what's happening. And he can see a thirst. And I think it's very interesting to see what Jesus identifies So if you go back to where we started in verse 25, there's all this confusion, a lot of confusion around who Jesus is. Who is this man? I thought they were trying to kill him, but now they're not trying to kill him. What's going on with him? And anyway, we know where he's from. He's just a carpenter from Galilee. We're not impressed by him. Okay, so look what Jesus says. Then Jesus, still teaching the temple courts, is verse 28, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I think that's a little bit... Not sarcastic, because we probably Jesus probably wasn't sarcastic in that sort of sense. But he was, I think he's saying, yeah, you know me, you know where I'm from. Really, you sure? I'm not here on my own authority, Jesus says. But he who sent me is true. You do not know him. There it is. That, that that's what Jesus sees. You do not know him. Why is the crowd so thirsty? Why would Jesus offer water to this crowd at the festival? Because they don't know him, God. Jesus says, God has sent me into this world. You don't know him. I know him because he sent me. But you don't know him. And this is what lies at the fundamental thirst of humanity. We don't know God. We were made by God, the creator. We were made to love him and enjoy him. But we've turned to other things. We've turned away from him. He calls himself the the fountain of living water. But instead, we've run off after the strawberry milkshakes of the world. We've gone after other things to satisfy us. And Jesus says, you're thirsty because you don't know him. You don't know God. How can you possibly find satisfaction without knowing the one that made you? And then Jesus says later on, that's the first big reason we're thirsty, because we don't know him. 
And then this conversation goes on, and they're still confused, and they decide they're going to try to arrest him. And then Jesus says this weird thing in verse 33. I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. So Jesus says, you do not know God, and you cannot go to God. Jesus says, I'm returning to the one who sent me. I'm going back to my Father in heaven. I'm going back to God. And Jesus says, you can't come. And so our fundamental thirst is because we don't know the God who made us and because we can't go to the God who made us because we're shut off, we're we're shut out from his presence. That's why we're thirsty. There's a God who made you, and he made you for himself, and he made you to live with him in friendship and in beautiful relationship. You were made for him and to live with him, but because we've gone after other things, we now do not know him and we can't go to him. That's the problem that we face. And so we're thirsty. And so we chase around this world looking for something that will satisfy us. And look, strawberry milkshakes may last for a little while. There are things that will satisfy you. Perhaps you get a good job and it satisfies you. you, Yeah, this is fantastic. I knew that I could do it. I'm happy. Or you have a holiday or you find a relationship and it satisfies you and you feel like, yes, this is what life is all about. But you know what? It will not be long until you feel empty again. It will not be long before that thing that you thought was so satisfying to you has lost its shine and it's lost its thirst-quenching ability and you realize it hasn't satisfied the deep ache that we have in our souls. And it may be that for some of us, we're right there in the middle of the strawberry milkshake. It tastes great and it's yummy and we're having a happy, happy time. And you might sit there thinking, oh, he's wrong, he's wrong. This strawberry milkshake is very satisfying to me. Okay, Well, I pray to God that you will remember this talk in 5, 10, 20 years' time, whenever it might be. I pray that you might remember this talk and remember that thing has stopped satisfying me. And that perhaps on that day, you'd remember these words of Jesus, come to me, you who are thirsty. I wonder if we're willing to admit our thirst. I wonder if we're willing to admit where we chase after other things. Because that's the qualification to come to Jesus. But what's the work then? What do we have to do? What do we have to do? I love this. I used to um, meet up with this guy who was working out what he thought about Jesus. And we'd meet up and we'd read the Bible together. And, it, and, and at the end of every time, he'd go, so what have I got to do? You know, what, what have I got to do about this? That's a great question, isn't it? What am I supposed to do? Well, the answer in verse 37 is really simple. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. If you're thirsty, what are you supposed to do? Drink. That is not a difficult thing you're being asked to do. Right? If someone says, would you like a drink? And you go, well, well I mean, I don't, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I can do that. Sorry, I offered you a glass of water. <laughs> Come on, who taught you to drink? Who was it who sat you down and said, listen, 
Today, I'm going to teach you how to drink. No one taught you to drink. It's the most natural of human instincts. In fact, it's one of the first things you ever did on earth. Which means there's not a single person in this room who can't do this. Because to drink water is a simple, simple action where we just take the water and drink. And Jesus says, that's how you get satisfied in life. You come to him and you receive it. You say, Jesus, would you give it to me? Jesus, I'm thirsty. Would you please satisfy me? And Jesus says, of course I will. Because this is why Jesus came. He came so that you could know God. Remember, that's where our thirst comes from. We don't know God. So what did God do? He sent his son so that we could know him. We don't have to work it out. You don't have to do a degree in the Bible. You don't have to answer an exam. You just have to drink. Jesus comes and he says, I will show you God. I will come so that you can know God. And Jesus came so that he could open the way to God, so that you can go to God. This is why Jesus had to die on a cross. This is why when Jesus hung on a cross dying, he said, I'm thirsty. Why was Jesus thirsty hanging on a cross? Well, because that was your thirst. This is how it works. I'm thirsty because I've rejected God. I'm thirsty because I've turned my back and I live away from God. Thirst is what I deserve. So what did God do? He sent his son into the world and Jesus at the cross took my thirst. He suffered what I deserve. He was shut out from God's presence. He was punished by God to smash open the way so that we could know God and we could go to God. And so to find satisfaction is simply to come to Jesus and say, Please satisfy me. I want to drink. I want to drink deeply of you. I want to bring all of my shame and all of my disappointments and all of my hurt and all my failures, all my failed attempts to satisfy Jesus. I, I want to bring them to you. Would you restore me? Would you heal me? Would you forgive me? Would you welcome me? Would you refresh me? Would you fill me with joy? You've got to come to Jesus. And if you stop and think about it, that is a remarkable thing that Jesus is saying. You see, if you remember, we started the service with Isaiah 55, which was God. In the Old Testament, God the Creator saying, come to me and drink. Here is Jesus, the man, saying, come to me and drink. Do you see the claim? The God who can satisfy us fully has come to earth and now invites us, all of us, to come and drink from him. But just like water, this is an exclusive claim. There is no other place where, water, where satisfaction can be found. Jesus says, you must come to me and drink. And you might say, well, that sounds like a bit of a harsh, cruel, sort of slavery and slavery to Jesus. No, this is freedom. Just like water, this is freedom. There is no other thirst quenching, soul quenching drink other than Jesus. 
you won't find it anywhere else. I promise you won't find it anywhere else. You can spend your whole life searching for it, and you will not find it. And I pray that you come back to Jesus before, you, before it's too late and see him as the thirst quenching drink. And what's the promise? Okay, let's, let's finish this off. What's the promise? Stick with this. We're nearly there. Um, when you come to Jesus and when you drink, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What a, is that just me? That's weird. Isn't it? What would you expect Jesus to say? Come to me and drink and you'll be satisfied. And we go, fine, that makes sense, Jesus. Yeah, thanks very much. That seems to make sense. I'll come to you and I'll be satisfied. But it's better than that. Jesus isn't just offering to satisfy your soul so you go away going, oh, that's better. I feel much nicer. Jesus is saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to place a living spring, a river of water that will flow from within you. It's a mad claim. Bonkers. It's, it's massive. Here I am. I'm feeling a bit dry. I'm feeling a bit sad. It feels a bit of a desert. Jesus says, well, I've got a river for you. I'm going to flood your life with a whole river that's going to flow from within you. And we may say, well, that sounds very odd. What on earth is Jesus talking about? Well, the good news is that John knows that we might get confused, so he explains it. In verse 39, <laughs> I love this. You can imagine John writing this going, I better explain what that means, because they'll never get that. So verse 39, he tells us, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given. What happens when you come to Jesus and drink? He places his Spirit within you, his life-giving, joy-bringing, freedom-releasing Spirit within you such that our dry, withered-up little hearts fill up with the Spirit and overflow. This is what God promised he was going to do. All the way through the first part of the Bible, all the way through the Old Testament, God was saying, there's going to come a day, there's going to come a day, and I'm going to do something so spectacular. I'm going to send someone who's going to come and who's going to change your hearts and who's going to place my Spirit within you. And it's the coming of Jesus that now means the Spirit is given. You can't separate out the Jesus and the Holy Spirit as if kind of Jesus dies on the cross and forgives us and does that bit and then the Spirit comes along and does some other stuff. It doesn't work like that. The Spirit and Jesus go together. It is Jesus' Holy Spirit who's given to you. And so Jesus goes to a cross and he dies and he's glorified and then the Spirit is poured out. It's all part of the same package because when you come to know God, he gives you his Spirit and he lives within you and he satisfies you. This is what you need. If you feel dry and you feel like a bit of a desert Christian at the moment, you don't need a new technique. You don't need some spiritual guru. You need Jesus to give you more of his spirit so that you would overflow. And then the spirit flows out from you. And it's interesting that it's a river that flows out from you. This isn't just supposed to fill you up. You're not a bucket where you just get filled up with the Spirit. And Jesus comes along and gives you a dollop of Spirit just for you and your private little Spirit time. 
No, you're a river. You're supposed to overflow to others. As the Spirit fills you, you then overflow to others. You see, some, some Christians are too much like a bucket. They want the Spirit to fill them. They want to have a happy time and a nice time and a nice time, but they don't want to overflow. If, that, if, if you're like that, you just stagnate. Like a pond that has nowhere for the water to go, you just end up polluted and stinking. <laughs> a little bit rude, sorry. But it's a river. It's not a pond. And so we must, as Jesus fills us with his spirit, we must overflow that to others and show that love to others by loving people and praying for them and caring for them and sharing Jesus with them. But it's also true that some Christians, they give, 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 but stop going to Jesus to be filled. They stop going to Jesus to satisfy them. And the give, 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 giving becomes everything about their identity in their life. And that becomes who they are. And bit by bit, they find within them withering. And bit by bit, they find themselves drying up inside. Because you cannot keep giving if you are not receiving. And so here is this beautiful invitation that Jesus gives. And he says, I will place my spirit within you. I will cause a river of living water to flow from within you so that you can be a blessing to others and satisfy them. Oh, there's so much to say. But as we wrap this up, let's, let's take what we've heard this afternoon and let's be thinking, where do you look for satisfaction? What do you think it is that will truly satisfy your thirst? Will you come to Jesus and drink? And I beg of you, if you're someone who's sitting here saying, I, my heart feels a bit cold, I feel a bit dry, that's not okay. Don't settle for that. I say that to myself as much as to you. Sometimes we just go through the motions, and Jesus says, I've got so much more for you. Come to me and drink. My precious child, come drink. And let that living water flow so that you could be a blessing to others. And look, if you've never come to Jesus and drunk, well, come this afternoon. You know, you can spend your life tasting all the strawberry milkshakes in the world. You will not find anything like Jesus. I guarantee it. You will not find anyone who can satisfy you like him. And you say, what do I have to do? You just come and drink. It's that easy. You come and say, Jesus, I want that. Please, would you fill me? And he forgives you. And he gives you new life. Because he died. So that you could know God. So let's bow our heads and pray. And let's ask that God, in this world of false promises, in this world of false satisfaction, in this world of privilege and elitism, would satisfy each of us with this soul-satisfying water. Father, we come before you and we long to drink of Jesus. We long for this to be a reality. We don't just want to know. We want to experience and enjoy and drink. It's not enough to know that the water in the glass will satisfy us. We have to drink it. And we pray this afternoon that we would come. Lord Jesus, we come to you and ask, satisfy us, we pray. Fill us with your spirit. Let us overflow with your spirit. Let that living water flow from within us that we might know you and that we might know that we will be with you forever 
and that we might find satisfaction in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.